All right, so we are in week three of our series on grace. We're in week three of, of talking through how God continues to make His grace real in our lives and helping to explain what, what grace is. Uh, if this is your first week with us in the last couple, week one, we talked about baptism. Um, week two, which was last week, we talked about communion. Josh did a great job of walking us through those five cups of communion and how God's promises continue to reign true for us uh, in those moments. Uh, and then today we're getting into our third means of grace, and this is actually where we're going to stay for the next several weeks. And our third means of grace is uh, the Word of God, and that'll be up on the screen for you in a moment. Um, yeah. So we're doing the Word of God, and when we talk about the Word of God, primarily what people think is that's talking about the Bible, uh, and that's true. Um, but it's so much more than simply the Bible itself. The Word of God comes through preaching the Word, through teaching the Word, through studying the Word, through even just having a conversation about what God is doing in your life. All of that is the Word of God because the Holy Spirit works in each and every one of us and continues to give us different examples, different moments in our lives, whether they're, they're awesome things that we want to keep talking about or maybe slightly embarrassing moments. The Holy Spirit is using all of them in order to help share the grace of God with not only you, but the other people you're interacting with. And so over these next four weeks, you're going to hear several different versions or several different ways that grace is real in our lives, whether it's through certain people or through certain topics. Uh, but whether it's something you understand or not, grace will always reign true with the same definition. And it's the one we had in week one, God's riches at Christ's expense. So no matter what you hear, no matter what we talk about, this will always be our foundational principle of what grace is. It is a totally free gift that you get because God loves you. You've done nothing to earn it. You've done nothing to deserve it. You've done nothing to add to this. It is solely God's gift through his son that he sent on the cross, and that's why we get to have grace. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a man named Paul. And most of you probably know who Paul is, probably know that he wrote most of the New Testament, gave us many of the letters that we have. But before Paul was Paul, before Paul was the greatest missionary that the church had ever seen, Paul was Saul. And Saul was the greatest persecutor the church had ever seen. And so today we're going to be talking about the Saul before the Paul. And to be able to help kind of set the tone for that, what I want you to think about is what were you like before you were the person you are today? You know, what built you up into who you are right here, right now? All right, and for Paul, before he met Jesus, before he met Christ, you know, Paul had some BC moments, some before Christ moments, and that was Saul for him. But for us, maybe you were born into the faith, but you still have some moments in your life that maybe you're a little, you're a little embarrassed by, you're a little shy by, maybe you don't, you don't want people to know about them. Those would be your BC moments. And if you're still not sure what I'm saying, I asked our staff the same kind of question and asked them to give me some pictures to help illustrate what a BC moment may look like in their lives. Hopefully it'll help you as well. So our first picture, hopefully you recognize her, is Miss Brianna. All right, she's very nice, just had her hair done, got a wonderful picture. But before we had this wonderful woman that is here today, we had this. And this is Brianna in our gym at Pilgrim right here, right now. Well, not right here, right now. But this was her when she was in Pilgrim's youth group. And God used this to become the Brianna we know today. Next, we have Miss Victoria, and this is her eighth grade picture. They're with her brother, wearing a shirt that says, you can't offend me. All right. Uh, and I mean, for those of you who, who have ever, you know, 
taken odd family photos. I'm sure this was, there was nothing wrong with this at the time, but this is where she started, and then this is where we get. It took her the longest to get me any pictures, so she picked small ones. That's fine. Lovely young girl. If you don't know her, meet her. Next, we have Tavarius, and Tavarius is wonderful. He's great. He's awesome. That wasn't the funny one. I heard someone laugh. This is a good one. So he is always great. He's wearing his worship headband right now. I mean, he's always ready to just bring God's praises. This is what God has made him into. But before, and this was only, what, last year? Caught him mid-sneeze, all right? This is not as Instagram-worthy as the other one. Before he got there, this is where it was. And then there's my wife. And she's lovely, but before I met her, her life was encapsulated by this. Yep, this is everything. That was the whole thing. Yeah. I asked them all before I could put these pictures up, just in case you're holding back anything, because you're worried. She knew. Um, But after this, God made her into the wonderful woman she is last year on her birthday, and the woman she is today with everything. So very excited there. But the point is, we all have our BC moments. And I have my own up here. And what this is, this is my first week of college. Obviously, I'm making good choices. I have a flat build hat on that says Throwdown that I found for $2 at Walmart. I was very proud of that. My hair is down to here. I have this disgusting goatee that's not even growing in straight because I didn't grow facial hair very early on. Uh, and we're wearing white t-shirts and very short shorts. And as we're just hanging out here, the picture you see may be embarrassing enough, but for me and for all those other pictures that you saw there, there's a story behind it. There's a story that helps explain what this is or that this picture may just remind the person of. It's a snapshot into your life that you may not be super proud of, that you may wish never would have happened, that you may wish had no part in your story, and yet God's going to use it just like he's going to use Paul. So let's take a look at the first snapshot we get into Paul's life. And I know I told you to open up to Acts chapter 9, but that's because we're going to spend most of our time there once we get over to it. Um, But to start, our first snapshot of Paul actually comes to us in Acts chapter 7. And what that is, um, before any of this is happening, before this verse right here, um, you got to have some context. So there's a man named Stephen, and Stephen was a part of the second generation of our our, our apostles, our our disciples, of the followers of Jesus. The first generation is your disciples, and then the men they sent out would be uh, a part of who Stephen was. And so Stephen had just walked into the temple and made this amazing, awesome, great, epic message about grace and about how the law of Moses, although very appropriate and very necessary for, for things, no longer dictated whether or not you were saved. It no longer ran your life. It was no longer the most important thing. The most important thing was what we have right on the screen, the grace of God, the grace that Jesus showed to us by coming down, by dying on the cross, and by rising again. But after he gave this awesome message, the members of the Sanhedrin heard it, and they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth. They looked at Stephen, and they were like, who, who is this kid? Who's this person who's telling me about grace? Who's this person who's telling all our people that everything we have established for them since the beginning of time is no longer important? And this isn't the kind of anger that like maybe if you, if the screens are slow or you don't like the message or you weren't happy with something that that, that someone said where you go home and you fire off an email to Pastor Josh or to me. 
This is the type of anger that results in murder. This is the type of hate that has nothing but rage and malice and sin behind it. And so this is what these men were feeling. But even as Stephen began to feel the anger of the Sanhedrin, God continued to fill him with grace. And so in the next two verses, you'll see that as Stephen was standing there, he was full of the Holy Spirit and he looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But then in verse 57, the Sanhedrin's response, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And I know this isn't about Saul, we're almost to Saul, we're almost going to get that first snapshot, but before we even get into that, as you continue to live your life, as you continue to live under God's grace, as God continues to give more and more of his grace to you, be ready for those who hate you. Because as much grace as God is throwing at you, that's how much hate Satan is throwing at you. Satan wants you to fail. Satan wants you to forget about the grace that God has given to you. Satan wants you to be dead. Dead to sin, dead to everything. He wants you to suffer with him for all of eternity. And so as much grace as God has given you, as much boldness as God has given you, Satan is going to try to thwart that, just like he did with Stephen. He's going to bring people into your life who hate you because of the message you bring. For a lot of us, it's, it, we talk about how difficult it is to have that one-on-one conversation with someone. You know, maybe someone who's, who, who they're living with their girlfriend, or maybe they're drinking too much, or they're addicted to porn, or they're struggling in some way. And it's so hard for us to have that conversation with them to let them know, guys, this is not what God wants for your life. But Stephen went into a whole church full of those people. Went into a whole temple. We're worried about one person being angry at us. Stephen didn't care. He went in and had a whole group. And they killed him for it. And as scary as that is, God has promised to take care of you. And we'll see that in just a moment. But so, here we are. Stephen gave this big epic message. Sanhedrin was mad. Stephen shared something else that was pretty great. He got to see God. He got to see Jesus. He got to see the man that the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law just killed at the right hand of God. And they're furious. They're covering their ears. They're yelling at the top of their voices. They're just blocking all of this out. Then they drag him out to kill him. And what does our man Saul do? He just stands there and watches. He watches the coats. He just stands there as these people are killing this man. Killing this man who's only sharing grace. And Saul just sits there and watches. Then in verses 59 and 60, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Do those words sound familiar? Those are the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. Into your hands I commend my spirit. I commit my spirit. Then saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen in this moment is sharing the grace that God has given to him. 
He's expressing the grace that God has shown to him for every one of his sins and sharing it with these people who are literally killing him. And then God allowed him to fall asleep as he was murdered. And again, what did Saul do? He approved of it. He was totally behind it. Our first snapshot into the life of the greatest missionary to ever live is that he was all about killing the Christians. He was all about murdering those who opposed him. But that doesn't come just out of his own understanding of things. That doesn't just come because he decided that's what he wanted to do. That comes because that's how he was built. That's how he was made. Because Paul, his history is he is the son of a Roman dad and a Jewish mom. And that may not sound like a ton to you because nowadays, like, yeah, mixed marriage. Life, life goes on. It's totally fine. But back then, that was huge. Because for the Jewish people, in order for you to have all of the respect, all of the um, access to the temple, everything you could possibly want in the Jewish culture, you had to be Jewish through your mom. And then for Rome, the only way you could have all the rights of being a Roman citizen to be promised a fair trial to make sure that you weren't just killed on the spot for for breaking some law or thrown into prison for, for something you didn't really do, you had to be a Roman through your dad. And so Paul had the best of both worlds in that situation, and on top of that, he was rich. And so Paul was being set up with everything he could possibly need to be equipped to be one of the strictest Pharisees there ever was. To know the law back and forth, to know everything about the Old Testament in great detail, to be able to explain everything in terms of the law and how we need to do, do, do. We need to be active. We need to continue to do more and more in order to save ourselves from all this junk. He had no idea what the rest of the world was like. He had no idea what grace was. And so as we continue to look at Saul, We're going to take away four things from his life, from his conversion, that'll help us in our own understanding of the grace that was shown to him and the grace that is constantly shown to you. And our first point that we're going to learn today is the legacy that you receive, or you cannot determine the legacy you receive, but you can determine the legacy you leave. You are born into a certain family. You are born into a certain situation. Maybe you're not born in the same way that Paul was born. Thomas, you can go to the next slide. You may not be able to determine uh, what family you're born into or what job you're going to have, but back then you were. If, you were. if your family was a carpenter, you were probably going to be a carpenter. If your family was blacksmiths, you're probably going to be a blacksmith. If your family was a king, you were probably going to be a king one day. Nowadays, it looks slightly different, all right? If your dad or your mom's an engineer, you may not be an engineer. Physics is hard. You might not make it. But if your dad was addicted to alcohol, Or if your mom grew up in a family where they didn't hug or they didn't say, I love you. Or maybe you you grew up surrounded by, by, by boys. You may not act in the same way that everyone else does. The legacy you are given when you're born, you have no control over. You are who your family was. But you do have the ability to change the legacy you leave. The legacy you receive is given. The legacy you leave is determined. And Saul is exactly that. Because the way Saul was raised is, if you disagree with me, you're wrong. You're an idiot. I hate you. 
And he showed that with Stephen, with that first snapshot into, into his life. You disagree with me? You deserve to die, all right? Only the righteous shall live, and I'm righteous, and you're obviously not because you disagree with me. Dead. That's how Saul was raised. But Saul, as we know later on, when he becomes Paul, completely changes the legacy he leaves. And, and the only way he's able to do that is by the grace of God. Because the grace that God is giving to you is so much more than you possibly could need. It's more than enough to change you from who you were into who you need to be. But then at the same time, it's enough that you can continue to share grace with everyone around you, continue to share this message of grace with them to let them know how much they are loved by their God in the exact same way that Paul did. In Romans 5, verse 8, we see how Jesus continues to look at us in that same sort of way. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The most basic human legacy that each and every one of you was born with is that you're sinful, you're broken. And yet, even though you're sinful, Christ died for you. Christ chose you above all else. He could have come down, seen who we were, and just headed right back up. Just been done with it. Like, nope, y'all aren't worth it. But he loves you so much that he chose to die for you in order to give you the grace that you need, that you don't deserve, but to just continue to show how much he loves you and how much more he can do with your life. Just a couple of minutes ago, we, we sang Reckless Love, And believe it or not, when that song first came out, a lot of churches not super thrilled with the name or the song because we don't like to think of our God as having a love that is reckless, you know? Our God has very accurate, precise, intentional, you know, like his love is here. This is how it works. But in reality, it's not. God's love is messy. God's love is everywhere. God's love is is overflowing the cups that that we have that we need to be filled with love. And when you talk about a love that is reckless, you're talking about a love that God is giving regardless of how you respond to it. Each and every one of us have the opportunity to run from the love that God has given to us. Each and every one of us have the opportunity, once this grace has been poured out onto us, to run from the legacy that God is trying to help us to create. And instead, to just stick with the legacy of sin that we were born with. But in those moments, God continues to pursue you. God continues to chase you. And God continues to love you at your absolute worst. And this brings us to our second point in Saul and Paul's life. You will miss the greatness of God's grace if you cannot recognize the ugliness of your sin. And then one more addition to that, or if you fixate on the ugliness of your sin. Recognizing it is different from fixating it. Because most people will fall into two camps. You either think, my sins really aren't that bad. You know, I'm not, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a rapist. I'm not addicted to porn. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not addicted to cocaine. You know, I have no, I have no issues. I was an angel uh, for my parents. I was perfect in college. I got all straight A's. I never partied. I never drank. I never did anything. You know, I just went to class, went back to my dorm, went to sleep, got up, went to class, went back to my dorm, went to sleep. All of us, I'm sure that's exactly how we lived. Denying your brokenness is denying God's grace. Because if you're not broken, why do you need grace? Paul was raised with that as a truth. I'm not broken. I know the law. I follow the law. 
On the outside, I'm perfect. And that's all that matters, right? Because the law doesn't tell you what your inside is supposed to be. Your law just says, this is what you should look like. But internally, Saul was broken. He was dirty. For us, once you recognize the ugliness of sin, you recognize that you can be as good as you want, but your outside is still just as dirty as your inside. You're just as broken. You're just as sinful. You're just as messy. And when we recognize that, we get to see the greatness of God's grace because in spite of everything that you are, He still loves you. He still sent His Son to die for you. But then on the other side, we can get sucked into this idea that I I cannot possibly be good enough to experience God's grace. You know, I, I, I wasn't perfect in college. You know, I, I made a mistake. I had an abortion. I, I am addicted to alcohol. I'm going through a divorce. I'm, I'm dealing with this brokenness in my life. I did this to my girlfriend when I was 16, or this happened to me because of my, uh, my boyfriend did to me when I was 18. Like, all these different things that can go on in our world, and we can think, the ugliness of my sin, I can't. I can't possibly be loved by God, and yet God continues to shower us with so much to show us He loves you in spite of it all. He loves you regardless of it all. His grace is for all of us. His grace isn't for some. His grace is for us all. And so what we can really learn from Saul there, from this moment right here, is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Each and every one of you, through the waters of baptism, as you continue to come to communion, as you continue to see God's grace alive in your life, each one of you is simultaneously a saint and a sinner. And those of you who know what that means, awesome. Those of you who don't, it's difficult to think of that because at the same time, you're perfect, you're holy, you're consecrated. God has made you who he wanted you to be. But at that exact same moment, you're sinning, you're broken, you're falling short, you're following the world instead of God, you're choosing to live in opposition to Him. And yet, what Saul shows us is that every time you sin, you have a future that God's going to use that for. And every saint who's gotten to this perfect, outwardly great moment has a past of BC moments of embarrassing things, of things they don't want anyone to know about, and yet God is still using that for them. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God knew from the very beginning every one of the, the cruddy little things that was going to be a part of your life. He knew about every time you'd mess up. He knew about every time that you were going to choose something other than him every time you'd run from him. And yet he still loved you. He still wants that relationship with you. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Even Saul, even our guy who in Acts 8 verse 1, again, just stood there and approved of the killing of Stephen. Thomas, you can change the slide, please but also continued to promote the greatest persecution of all time. He went through all of the church in Jerusalem and made it to where everyone ran except for the apostles. He threatened to kill everybody he possibly could 
Some people have compared Saul before he was Paul to a modern-day Hitler. But what Saul shows us is that each and every one of us, when we're living as Saul, when we're tempted to be the sinful, broken person who thinks they have it all figured out, who thinks that they know everything and they couldn't possibly need anything else from God, what Saul shows us is that we are always one moment away from change. And that's our third point. You are always one moment away from change. Thomas, can you change the slide, please? To one more. You're always one moment away from that change. Always one moment away from what God is doing in your life through his grace. Okay? And what I want to make sure you're, you're not hearing, because this comes up a lot, you are not one moment away from being rich. You are not one moment away from getting the car you've always dreamed of. You're not one moment away from getting the house you always thought you'd get. You're not one moment away from your life just totally changing, from always living in an apartment to living in one of these mansions here in Bel Air. All right? You're not one moment away from worldly success. You're one moment away from changing from the broken, evil, dirty, sinful human being that Satan wants you to be to becoming what God wants you to be. And for Saul, it's a very literal, huge moment where on the road to Damascus, he, he, he runs into Jesus and he changes. But for a lot of us, we may not have that one significant, huge moment in our life. We may have something smaller. And it may be a bunch of little moments that help us to get from where we were to where we needed to be next. And God continues to fill you with his grace in order to help you along that path because he has a goal in mind for you. And that goal ends with eternity with him. But before you get there, he's got work for you to do. He's got steps for you to hit. And these do not make your salvation any more real. You've already been saved. The fact that you're here in this room means you know who Jesus is. Unless someone dragged you and you were kicking and screaming the whole way, and for visitors, welcome. But unless someone dragged you into this place and you knew nothing about it, and this is just a big open room with these weird little side things, and there's people up here singing, and there's a guy up here kind of yelling at you, kind of being nice at the same time, and like, if you don't understand what this is all about, let me tell you, God's grace is for you. But also understand that even though we're saints in this moment, we're also sinners, and we're always just one moment away from change, and it is only because of God's grace that that change is even possible. It's what he is enacting in us, and it's what he continues to act in us. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we get another image into Saul, another snapshot into his life, giving another opportunity for him to just totally change and stop being the jerk that he was. And it takes a pretty significant moment to change him. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so in this moment, Saul is still set in his ways. He's still set and ready to go out to take on all of Christianity and to wipe it out. It disagrees with who he is, so he hates it. It must die. And yet, Saul is about to come to a crossroads. If any of you have heard the phrase, road to Damascus, this is where it comes from. 
In Saul's journey to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, Jesus intercepts him and causes this change that he needed to happen in order to change Paul from the greatest persecutor ever into the greatest missionary ever. So in verses 3 and 4, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. And if you think about it, if he's traveling, he's probably not walking. He's a rich guy. He's working for the church. He fell from a horse, maybe from his high horse. And again, that goes back to this idea, how many of you have everything figured out in your life? No one's a liar today. That's good. None of us do. And yet, for some reason, there's parts of our lives that our our thoughts are, nope, I understand this, I control this, I'm going to deal with this. Why? Has God given you the talents, gifts, and abilities to do so? Yeah. Did God give you those talents, gifts, and abilities so that you could go do it so he didn't have to worry about dealing with you? No. God wants to help us in every aspect of our lives. God wants to be a part of every aspect of our lives. Some of us need to be able to get off of that high horse in order to recognize there's something out there that can do more with your life than you could have ever imagined. And if you're unwilling to recognize your need for grace, how can God do more with your life? How can God do more with who you are? If you have it all figured out, how else can God spread his kingdom, expand his world, expand the world of grace through you? For Saul, it took a literal shock to the system. Because as he fell to the ground, you can go back one. So close. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then in verses 5 and 6, who are you, Lord? Even in this moment, even in his hatred of all of Christianity, even in this this time when he's going to kill all of Christianity, he recognizes that there's something pretty impressive in front of him right now. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so as Saul gets up, as Saul dusts himself off, what he starts to realize is no one else around him heard anything. No one else around him saw this man in front of him. No one else around him saw anything except a bright light and some loud noise. Saul knew something was going on here. Saul knew something had to change. Saul knew something big was happening. But you notice what Jesus says at the end? Jesus doesn't say, you get it now. Awesome. Let's go get a beer. Jesus says, now get up, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And for those of you who know the story awesome, for those of you who don't, he goes into the city, he's blind, he's completely blind. He's supposed to meet with this man, Ananias, and Ananias is a Christian and Ananias knows who Saul is, wants nothing to do with this guy. But God tells him, nope, I'm going to use him. I'm going to use the snapshot of Saul's life that you are aware of, that you know totally means he could kill you. And I need you to go to him. And so Ananias does. And he, he helps him. He breaks him free of his blindness. And Saul is still confused. He's still trying to figure stuff out. But he knows that Jesus told him, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And what Ananias didn't know and what Saul didn't know was that God was going to tell a story through Saul's life that no one else could tell. 
He was going to use Saul to reach people like no one else could, and that brings us to our fourth and final point for the day. God has a story He wants to tell through you. Using those awesome moments from your life, but also using those absolute garbage moments, those moments that you don't want anyone else to know about, those moments of brokenness, of addiction, of, uh, of being dirty inside, of, just, uh, of not understanding what to do next. God wants to use those to tell a story through your life. And he's going to use his grace to help show the happy ending for it. And for some of us, when we hear happy ending, we think, oh, it's going to get better. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to have my car. I'm going to have my house. I'm going to have my boat. I'm going to have it all. But when I say he's got a plan for your life to get better, I mean that that goes into eternity. You may not see the betterment of your life until the day you die. But know that the grace that God is giving to you, the grace that he's calling you to do something with, the grace that he has given to you and then called you to get up and go into the city and do something with it, you have the opportunity to leave a legacy, to leave an impact on this world like no one else because your story is unique to you. And by the grace of God, it's gotten you to this point here. So how can God use your story like he's using Saul's? In Galatians 1, we get to see for the first time, Paul recognized how God used his story. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So for Paul, he went from being legalistic, hateful, killing the church, to being a grace-filled Jesus follower, filled with love building up the church, being a missionary to all of those who otherwise wouldn't know what to do with all this Jesus stuff. And he did it through his story, which he was only able to use because of the grace of God. The grace of God has brought you into this place. The grace of God has called you into this family here at Pilgrim. So now what are you going to do with that grace? What are you going to do with your knowledge, with your understanding, with your belief in the fact that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose in order to tell you you're free? For so many of us, we get so scared about what's going to happen if we we share our faith. What happens if we share our faith outside of this room? Maybe I'm just in this room. What happens if, if I'm just really feeling the music and I want to, you know, I want to clap or I want to throw my hands up there? What are other people going to think? Guys, the grace of God will see you through all of that. The grace of God will see you through the hardest conversation. The grace of God will see you even through death in this world because the grace of God promises something so much more. The grace of God promises eternity in heaven. And so understand that the legacy you've been given is not the one you have to be left with. It's not the one you have to leave. The grace of God is for you. And it will continue to fill your life as it continues to change you. And God uses you to tell a story that only you can. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you.
so much that you continue to fill us with your grace, that you continue to fill us with your love. And Lord, we just ask you that you would embolden us, that you would help us to be like Stephen, that you would help us to preach like Paul, to continue to share your love and your mercy and your grace, the grace that you've shown to us with everyone that we interact with, to let everyone know how much you love them and to be able to continue to share this gift of grace that all of us have with people who otherwise may be destined for hell. Lord God, we thank you for this freedom we live under. We thank you for the example of Paul that you've given to us. And Lord, we just ask that as you continue to encourage and fill us with your grace, that you would allow us to share it with everyone here in this place, but also with everyone in our community as far as you have planned for us to reach and as many people as you have planned for us to help expand your kingdom. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.